We are going into the last part of Acts 18 here. When Jesus told his disciples and written down in Acts 1.8, so it's for us too, telling us that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is something that's still rolling out today. And it's not just talking about spreading, like we talked about how it would spread like wildfires, because this is geographic and it's spreading, it's spreading. But also what God's church is doing is has an inward growth too, and there's, it's growing stronger. This last part of chapter 18 pulls in focusing on Paul and Apollos on how they grew. It's not just, he just doesn't tell us about the gospel and then that's it, we're, we're done growing, we've got it, you know. Yes, it puts us in the kingdom of God. Yes, that takes us from the dominion of darkness into his kingdom. Yes, that gives us a heart of flesh where it takes our heart of stone away. Yes, that makes it spiritually alive. Yes, our name is written in the book of life. But it just doesn't end there. It's a strengthening um, a building, uh, it, it's in, we're becoming more Christ-like because we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And that does not happen. Bing, there we are. Any of the work that's not completed down here as we're being transformed in the image, when we get to heaven, we might come up fast forward. But here it's a process, and the process is called Sanctification. So, with Paul, remember last week we discovered that he got pretty down, depressed, discouraged, um, pulling in his writings from Corinthians and uh, other letters. We found that it was a difficult time for him, a very dark time. And he was in some pretty dark corners of the world. The world was, well, the world's dark now too, but... This, um, the gospel, Christianity, was just starting, and it hadn't spread and with the good news. So there was a lot of dark, evil, um, decrepit things to, to witness just out in, in public and stuff. And it was taking its toll on Paul. But we know that God stepped in and encouraged him, and he brought friends back. He brought financial relief back. But through that... Trial through that dark time, Paul's faith really grew because that's what trials are, aren't they? We have a choice there to make. We're either going to bend the knee and submit and realize that, okay, God, are you going to be faithful through this? Are you going to do this? Are you going to, you know, you've called me to do this. Is it going to be okay? It looks so dark out there. And then on the other side of that, when we go through that, it's like, yes, look at, I, I can. Wow, looking over my shoulder now. It's just, he did it. He brought me through. So we are on the other side of that for Paul, and then we're going to take a look at Apollos. So, 18, verse 18. After this, and again, we have an after this. We've got a lot of after this. It's a flow. This, this gospel continues to pour out. It never, ever, ever stopped the flow of the gospel. 
And so we start here with this. After this, after Paul was in Corinth and that stuff was going on and um, he was given the okay, um, it was legal for him to continue to preach there. He stayed for a little bit, many more days longer. And then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So if you've got a map in the back, that's kind of a cool thing to look at because we already know that he jumped from one continent to another and now he's going to go ahead and he's going to jump back over. So he's going to sail on down. Um, he didn't get kicked out of this town. That's a good thing. All these other towns he's been run out of and stoned or left for dead or snuck out of. But this town in Corinth, he was not forced out because of, the, um, because of God's hand in it and Gallio's favorable ruling, Paul was able to freely preach there. And not only that, I think a big part of maybe what was going on with Paul is Jesus' promise to him last week in verse 9, do not be afraid in the vision he tells him, but go on speaking and do not be silent. I am with you and no one will attack you to, or to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Many of my people are in this city. So we're seeing now when Paul's getting ready to leave Corinth that he had been there and he had seen all these people. These people have become believers, freedom to be able to preach, and God took care of them. There was sure there was still opposition, but they did not harm him. God fulfilled his promise to, to Paul. Um, and... Coming out of Corinth, he also got a really deep, deep friendship built with Priscilla and Aquila. So he's got a lot of things to be thankful for, a lot of things that God's encouraging him, and he's getting the strength to say, okay, God, he's re he really is going to be with me here. So at Sencria, in verse, the last part of this uh, 18, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, A vow is going to be a, a Jewish tradition that in number six, it was laid out to have a special pledge or a separation and devotion to God. Someone that is setting themselves apart, setting themselves holy unto the Lord, to serve the Lord. They abstain from any wine or any wine products. They don't go near to any dead bodies. It's a symbolic behavioral gesture that is saying, I am going to be totally devoted to serving the Lord, okay? And then for whatever period of time it is, it's usually done in, um, uh, in Judea where they make these vows. People keep an eye on them and stuff, and they're just, I don't know what all it entails, more studying or, or, but they let their hair grow, and they let their hair grow. And at the end of the time when the vow is over, they cut their hair, and they bring it to the temple in Jerusalem, and they offer it as a burnt offering. You know, it's the smell of hair. I know, <laughs> smell of hair. But they burnt a lot of stuff with hair on it, didn't they? So, and, and then that's a sweet aroma, um, and it's kind of like a rededication or recommitment. I mean, we still have things like this that are part of our Christian faith. And you may ask yourself, well, I thought he was like, maybe rebelling against all those Jewish traditions. 
Not necessarily. The Jewish culture and the traditions were not bad. It's what the, the um, uh, Pharisees were making them become, that that's what you had to do to be saved. Paul was standing up against that. But he was Jewish. And Jesus is Jewish. And there's a lot to the culture and the religion that is a wonderful thing, their feasts and stuff. We just don't make them more important, like you need to do that in order to be saved. Because when Christ came... He fulfilled all that stuff. And so he, Paul is at a place in his life after coming out of this, this heaviness, realizing that God is true to who he, Jesus is with him. God's spirit is empowering, protecting him. Um, the church is growing. Look at all of these people. Look at these friendships that are being developed. There became an attitude of, of, of gratitude and, and wanting to give thankfulness to God for his provision and his protection. Um, and also, I can't help thinking, living in a world like that, you just want to sometimes get out of there and wash your face. You know? When you've been through a hard time that's just been around rubbing elbows day to day and living with people in the same town that's just um, hate God and filled with evil. Paul just wanted to make a mental state of I am separate and holy to God. And so he makes this vow. All right. Um, And so in verse 19, he came to Ephesus and he sails down, and he gets to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. He loved that. He hasn't given up on the Jewish people. It's just not the focal point here. But he would debate them and reason with them and, and open up scriptures in light of who Christ is. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail. He set sail now for for Ephesus, okay? Um, so he's on his way to Ephesus. God had kept him from going to Ephesus before in chapter 16, verse 6. It wasn't Paul wanted to go, but it wasn't God's timing. You know, God's timing is something that we really need to learn to trust in because God networks, he sets people up, he orchestrates things, he's got all this other, you know, uh, the mind of God just trying to put everything together in his sovereignty. And even though Paul had the desire to go to Ephesus, it wasn't the right time. And this is a time he goes through, and, and, and he's, maybe he's going to come back, but right now he's got to go down and fulfill his vow. He's got to get his hair down into Jerusalem in time for a feast. So he's, he's getting on the ship and, and sailing out. Um, but he says that he will... He will come back. Um, okay, so he left Ephesus. Um, he goes down, sails in to the next continent. Um, he hangs out with them there. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch, which again in the map is north of Jerusalem, but it's higher elevation. Throws me off every time. And so he goes there, and he, he goes to the church in Jerusalem, and he, and he f- completes his vow with his sacrifice of his hair. Um, and then he goes to Antioch, his home base. This is the end of the second 
missionary journey, okay? He has completed all that. He's at his home church now. He's going to spend about some time there, and he's sharing with him what happened in the last three years. Many, many stories to share um, of what God has done and how he's growing the church, telling them about um, his new friends, Priscilla and Aquila, and, and all, of, all the wonderful things that have happened, okay? Verse 23 now picks up the third missionary journey. After spending some time there at his home church in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region, strengthening the disciples. It's so important to know that Paul, and we need to emulate this, pours into people. It's called discipleship. It's called mentorship. I think the church today has dropped the ball in this. I think we get them in, we get them to walk an aisle, we get them baptized, we get them to do whatever, the sinner's prayer, and then, hey, great, you know what? Instead of investing in them and telling them the importance of of, um, Scripture and devotion and how to pray, you know how many people don't know how to pray, um, how to study God's Word? I... It still behooves me that I look out and this is who comes to Bible study. Because I know there's a lot of churches out there that don't have Bible study. This is a Bible study. And we need to learn how to study God's Bible because he speaks to us directly. Going to a church and hearing your pastor break open the word of God on on Sunday morning is great. You're in fellowship and everything, and there's good teaching with that. It is not a substitute, though, for your day-to-day, your personal study of God's Word. He is with us 24-7. Pray without ceasing. It's a relationship. Church is the added, you know, good old, everyone's together and, you know, great stuff and getting extra teaching. But an individual Bible study is so important. Please tell your friends. Please. Now is the time. We may not have this open to do it much longer that freely. Anyways, he's about to begin the third journey then. Um, And he goes through, back through these churches. And again, if you look on your map, you've got the third, it's usually a different color, where he goes and starts winding down um, and strengthening the churches. So the church is growing, spreading out geographically. And now Paul's coming back and in in strengthening them independently, um, making disciples out of them, growing them. Sanctification. Ephesus is going to be where Paul, when he returns there, where he's going to spend two more years. This is the longest period of time Paul is going to stay in one place at this point. He's going to be there for two years. He's left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. So they're setting up and hosting a home church there. um, And lots of things are, are going to be happening there. And Luke is going to concentrate the next two chapters also in Ephesus. So this is a, a, a big emphasis here on the church growth of the church. Inward growth and outward growth. The numbers come in, but the saints are strengthened in their walk with God. And it's important. So many people, they just kind of are cruising through life just on a 
Yeah, I walked an aisle when I was, you know, kid in high school, and yeah, I did it. Yeah, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, whatever. And you wonder, if they don't have a hunger for the word, if it truly was a valid uh, confession of their sin. Speaking of confession of sins now, we're going to take a look at Apollos. That's Paul, Paul's growth. Paul's maturing. Paul is pushing, the, you know, wanting to make more of a commitment, set apart wholly to God, renewed, continuing on, strengthening in the churches. And now we come to Apollos. And he's a pretty remarkable guy. Let's take a look at him. Verse 24, he's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. And he came to Ephesus where Aquila and Priscilla are. Paul is not there right now. He was eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures, which meant he probably, uh, he was well-spoken, he was learned, he had acquired an education, and the scriptures at this point in time is just going to be the Old Testament scriptures, okay? So he um, had studied them, he was understood them, he was um, competent in the scriptures, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, all Old Testament stuff with the Lord, so he knew that, the Jehovah, God of the Old Testament. And he was fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit, meaning he just didn't have a knowledge of the scriptures, but he had a compassion for them. He was, he was, this knowledge that he had was passionate about. It was heartfelt. He believed it. He owned it. It wasn't just a, yeah, I can recite all these facts about this. Yeah, and then, you know, the Lord did this. And then with the Israelites, they did this and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't a head knowledge. It was in his heart. He had a, he had a conviction for it. Okay. And he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. Okay. So, he was well-versed. He knew what he was talking about. Okay. Many, many, many wonderful things about Apollos, but it did not make him a Christian. He had a major liability there because he only knew about the baptism of John which John said, you need to repent and be baptized. What does that mean to somebody? You know, where does Jesus come into it? Jesus is a, is a person, part of the Godhead, second person of the Godhead, and it's a relationship with him. Jesus is what it's all about. He knows about Jesus but he doesn't know Jesus. You've heard that phrase before, right? He knows about Jesus. I run into lots of people who know about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? So he had a little liability there, okay? So he shows up in Ephesus, and he starts teaching, began to speak boldly in verse 26 in the synagogue, right? Because he's, you know, people were listening to him. He knew what he was talking about. It's almost like there's a, if you've ever heard someone like this preach, it's kind of dry, if you know what I mean. If the spirit isn't it, it's just kind of dry. Or if you've known someone who claims to be a Christian, but 
but after you spend some time with them, it's like they're just kind of, there's, there's not a, I don't know. I don't know if everyone has this discernment or not, it's, but I think so, because it's not a kindred spirit. You know what I say when I say that? I see some heads nodding like a kindred spirit. Um, and it's the fellowship isn't there with it. So here he is in Ephesus. And again, who orchestrated this? God did, didn't he? Okay. And he's teaching in the synagogues. All right. In verse 26, Aquila and Priscilla hear him speak. They heard him. Before I get to do what they do there, what do they do? Here's Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, you know, they're, they're Jewish, um, poor Jews, because they were tent makers, not in the same social circle as Apollos. Apollos is wealthy and well-read and, you know, all this stuff. Aquila and Priscilla are just Jewish tent makers, probably uneducated. They have lived with Paul. Paul has lived with them. They have learned a lot. They've grown in their faith, okay? So what's going to happen here? Aquila and Priscilla could have just gone home after hearing him, Apollos, in the synagogues, gone home and said, boy, over lunch, you know what? That he was... I don't know about that guy. He, he might be a phone. I'm not really sure, whatever, and just left it there. But what did they do? This, I think, was a growth point for them because they decided, spurred on by God's spirit, to, to take him aside. They didn't battle with him in the public, but what they did, they, they took him. They took him aside. I'd like to think that they invited him to dinner. You know, come on over to our house. Let's talk about some things. Um, and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. So here it is, these gracious people um, are there, and they have their house guests there, and they're talking, and Apollos is you know, probably saying all these wonderful things, and, and they kind of just say, and, it's, and you have to be so humble when you come at it this way, of saying, well, yeah, and, and have you ever thought about maybe this? You know, not telling him he's wrong, but coming out with questions and coming around and just saying, and I'm sure Apollos just had his heart opened up to the truth of what they were saying. They took the time out to invest in Apollos. They maybe mentored him, maybe discipled him. Whatever they did, they, they invested in him is another word of this too. We are too busy today to really slow down and invest in people, and we're missing out. We need to have that be part of of who we are as believers. Um, They got personally involved in him. This is how people grow. This is discipleship. This This is how, not just spreading this way, this is how... Faith gets deeper with an understanding of talking about the word here and stuff and, and understanding it, um, educating and encouraging him. And it's time-consuming to do this. So what happens? They, they pour into him, um, took him in and explained to him the word, way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. 
And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. Wow. I wonder what Aquila and Priscilla thought about that when they would get letters back from Apollos or people over there saying, wow, he's just making it make so much sense hearing him teach. It's just, yes, we understand who Jesus is and what's going on. And, and they were a part of that, you know, um, spiritual parents almost. That's what we're missing in the church for sure. Through the grace of God, people who believed. And then in verse 28, for the powerfully, he powerfully refuted those two words together. That's he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. That is what it's all about. So when he went to Cassia, over there, Corinth, on that God-forsaken continent there and everything, and he boldly disputed this stuff. The people who were witnessing this, the people who got would kind of go and watch these debates and stuff, it probably, the gospel took off like wildfire there probably with how he was uh, doing the apologetics with it to prove, prove that Christ. The Christ was Jesus. Many people um, became believers through that. Now, I thought this was an interesting side note that I came across. Um, we all know about the book of Hebrews, right? Who wrote Hebrews? We don't know. Could be this person. Many scholars, or at least a handful of scholars, believe that Apollos could have written Hebrews. I had never heard of that before, but it certainly could make sense because it's an eloquently written book, very logical, deep theology, um, reasoning and stuff like that. So that could very well be that Apollos had his name on that. Inward growth is important. Becoming transformed into the image of Christ is the strongest witness that we can have for Christ. So when we go out into the world to be his witnesses, the more we emulate him, the more he, um, his characteristics, that fruit of the spirit, those nine characteristics dominate our personality, um, are, are manifested in our lives, that is truly being a witness to Christ. Not just the words that come out of ourselves and, and, and breaking open scripture and reasoning with people and explaining things, but the person of who we are, I think many times that's a stronger conviction of who Jesus is than anything else. And he, that happens. I love the fact that we had this song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace, because it's exactly through the grace of God that we are who we are. But God's riches at Christ's expense or because there is nothing that we do in our own strength to become Christ-like. It is all the work of the Holy Spirit and us yielding to his power. And, and you know what? <laughs> if we don't know it by now, we, we should, I'm going to tell you again, many times we get this way through trials. That's where a lot of the growing pains happen, like Paul had just gone through with that. So I'm going to pray.
and then we're going to sing the just the um the chorus of God's grace again um and then if you are a mother with a child downstairs just walk kind of slow I know there's not a lot of you here but the teachers might not be quite ready for you then God we thank you so much that that we are your project that uh, your love for us is working we are your workmanship and you began this work in us and you will see it through to completion help us also to be a part of that workmanship in other people's lives too as we invest in them as we grow together to be a light in a dark world. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.